Woke up quick at about noon. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome into the Wednesday, June 11th edition of the podcast with Damian Barling, presented by Vibe Health Bar, where they got three locations in East Sacramento. Folsom and Oak Park. Uh, Folsom and Oak Park are open for social distance dining. Uh, 8th Street there in East Sacramento was a little bit too small for that, so they're sticking with the food delivery apps like Postmates and all of that good stuff. Of course, you can get uh, your Vibe Health Bar delivered to you uh, through any of those any of those food delivery services that you dig, make sure you check them out. They got the best acai bowls, superfood, smoothies, organic cold bread juices, all of that good stuff that we've been talking about well over a year. I hope you'll go check them out uh, over at Vibe Health Bar. So this is a story that I've been a little bit worried about. This was a story that I've actually been expecting for weeks now, and it's 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 finally here. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't actually think that it means anything, but it is here, and it is something worth talking about. According to ESPN, a, quote, faction of NBA players held a variety of conference calls to discuss the uncertainty about restarting the NBA season in Orlando. Again, there is nothing surprising uh, about this About this to me. I, I figured that there would be a number of players who were uncomfortable with this. Now, what I can't quite grip from this article is See, my concern with the restart of the NBA season is from a health perspective. My concern is, uh, feels like we're moving a little bit fast with this. Like, like, are we really positive that we can bring sports back? Are we really positive that we could have that many people encompassing a, in a, that small of a space? And obviously the NBA is, you know, taking precautions by doing this whole, you know, Orlando bubble thing. Uh, according to the report, there were 40 to 50 players on and off of a conference call in the past 24 hours discussing a number of concerns. Now, there's been no petition by the NBA Players Association. There's been no you know, vocal demand by this group like, hey, we're not going to do this or, hey, we don't want to do this. There have just been questions. And I think while my concerns relate more like on, on the health aspect of it and, the, and really the safety of the players, it seems the, the, the players' concern centers more around you know, being in this restrictive isolated, you know, atmosphere. And this is only going to pertain, you know, you've really got to dive into this and think about it a little bit. Like, cause there are going to be teams. There are going to be teams that are essentially only going to be there for two weeks. In fact, there are what six teams that are only going to be there for two weeks. And then they're going to go home and they're not going to be in the restrictive bubble anymore. And they're going to be able to go about their you know, off season, I guess, however they see fit. And then, you know, playoff series are going to be shorter now because there's not going to be any, you know, accounting of traveling time. There's not going to be, there, there's not going to be an over-concern about when we schedule certain games because you've just got to get all of the games in. And I think they're going the every other day route uh, when it comes to the playoff. And, there, and there's enough playoff series that you could be able to do that. There's going to be basketball. There's going to be playoff basketball on the television every single night. So, you know, the series will end faster and then teams will go home. So it's it'd be interesting to know, you know, at 40 to 50 players, like what teams are they coming from? Like, Are we talking Lakers and Clippers, teams that might be playing very, very late into this season or this this postseason? Is it coming from teams like the Bucks or, or the Raptors or the Celtics? Because it would be weird if it was the Pelicans. A team that could be done in 14 days from July 30th to, or yeah, July 30th to, you know, August 13th or, or whatever it is. And suddenly, oh, their season's over. And they all they were worried about were being in this restrictive bubble for two weeks. That's kind of silly. But it seems the concern more centers around the fact that uh, no visitors can come until after the first round of the playoffs. So that's, that's nearly seven weeks after the start. Because even though the regular season, even though, well, yeah, I guess that's technically what it is, the regular season. Even though the regular season doesn't start till July 30th, these guys get to the to the bubble. They get to Orlando on July 7th? July 7th, July 8th? So that's about seven weeks that they have to go with, like, no visitors. That's seven weeks that they have to go without seeing, you know, the, for the guys that have wives or kids or... They travel with a certain group of people or their parents are very active in what they do. 
That's seven weeks. That's a long time. There have been increased dialogue uh, about the number of players, especially those on non-championship teams, like should for, or I should not, I shouldn't say non-championship teams. I should say non-championship contenders should like Sacramento have 17 players on their roster versus the Bucks. Like the Bucks know, the Lakers know, there's 14 teams in the league that are 100% positive they're going to be around until the playoffs start. There's no, there's no debating that. The top seven teams in each seed are absolutely 100% set. The eighth seed is up for grabs, especially with the, with the play-in format in both conferences. But there are, there are 14 teams that know, okay, we're, we're in this well into, you know, well into August, probably, you know, inching into September here, or, cl- or at least close to it. We're probably going to play all the way through the month of August. And there are teams who are thinking, well, maybe teams like the Kings or teams like the Wizards or teams like the Pelicans or Blazers or any of those plus six teams. Maybe they shouldn't have the same number of players that teams that know they're going to be playing well into the playoffs should have until they know that they're in the playoffs. Basically, what they're talking about is restricting the number of people in the bubble because that was the whole point of the bubble was to restrict the number of people that are in it. That's why we talked about yesterday. Kevin Harlan you know, mentioned that you know, TNT was going to, they were going to set up a broadcast table and they were going to do it all from their studios in Atlanta. They were going to try to replicate what a game would look like, but ultimately they're going to be calling it from a studio. And that's, that's pretty much the definitive line that we needed to hear in that no game is going to be called from like inside the bubble. They're going to be called from, from other places. So when we hear whoever winds up calling the Sacramento Kings portion of this regular season, they're probably going to be calling it from the NBC studios in San Francisco. So it's limiting the number of players. I don't imagine beat writers are going. I don't, I don't imagine Jason Anderson of the Sacramento Bee is going. I don't imagine that Jason Jones of the Athletic is going. I think they're going to let in a certain number of media, uh, probably more along the lines of national media, people like Ramona Shelburne, people like Adrian Wojnarowski, Mark Stein, Sam Amick, uh, guys who cover Jeff Zilgit, guys who cover the league as a whole rather than individual franchises. I don't know, you know, I've, I've, I know I joked, but wasn't really joking about how you conduct post-game press conferences. If you're the local media, instead of walking in front of a, a, you know, a bunch of cameras like Luke Walton so often does and camera phones and different things like that. Does he walk in front of a, a camera that's screening out to, you know, does he have a zoom screen in front of him? or, you know, like an iPad or a computer or whatever, and he's just taking part in a quick Zoom conference call when the games are over. There's still a lot to figure out, but the the ultimate thing that the NBA is trying to do is restrict the number of people in the bubble, and it it appears that there is at least a, a portion of players that would like it restricted even further, and then they have great concerns about being separated from family and friends for at least at at bare minimum seven weeks probably uh, in 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 some cases it's just not going to be that long <laughs> and like it's there are just some teams where they're they're not going to be playing when family and friends start showing up you know so if you're eliminated in the first round of the playoffs well all right like you, you gotta you had to tough it out you you, you gotta get through it and if you have young kids man i completely understand and that's a difficult thing because I, I, I don't know, like if I had a, a, a young son, a young daughter, if I had young kids in any way, shape or form, I don't know. I don't know what the, the better, I don't know what the best solution is here because you wouldn't want them in the bubble. Would you, would you want them like on the outskirts of the bubble and you were able to go visit them? Would you put them up in a different hotel, but someone where you could go see them? You just, you wouldn't want them. Now I think that bubble is going to be one of the I think it'll be one of the safest places in the country, like in terms of, you know, keeping that that coronavirus at bay and in the, in the fact that all of the steps that they're taking to prevent anyone from bringing it in. But the fact is, we've seen all of the videos about how quickly this virus can can transition from one person to another, how quickly it can contaminate something. 
We've seen the different videos where it's demonstrated at restaurants and demonstrated at grocery stores, and it's like, that's all it takes. It takes a player to go out once and then bring it back in. Now, just because a player, and I think that we learned this, even though it was in the really, really early stages, I think that we learned just because a player is positive for COVID-19, it doesn't mean he's going to infect the entire team. Uh, what the NBA has to work specifically close, it's not just keeping the virus at bay. It's not just keeping it out of the bubble. It's because that just seems, that kind of seems unrealistic. In a bubble that contains, I think, 1,600 people, it's really unrealistic to think that one person, at least, at the very least, one person won't contact the virus. The the bigger situation for the NBA is how quickly do do they identify it and how quickly can they isolate that person? And this is where I think the test at the beginning of you know, at the entrance into the bubble are going to prove to be the most valuable because that's where it's like, okay, there's no, again, 1600 people. There's no way 1600 people are passing that, that that are are clearing that coronavirus test to enter that bubble. There's likely going to be coaches or video coordinators or athletic trainers or players or some. and, And here's another question. I don't think anybody has raised. What if the entrance into the, what if the testing as we enter the bubble, produces dozens and dozens and dozens of positives. You know, because we all hear about the asymptomatic positive test. Well, what if what if a lot of these guys are asymptomatic and then we go to test them to go into the bubble? So 1,600 people, let's say, I don't know, 100? Like, is there a number that's too high? Is there a number where the NBA goes, oh, okay, we weren't expecting this. We were expecting maybe... 10 to 12 at most. We weren't expecting 103. Could that possibly shut the league down before it even starts? And I'm and obviously this is the super cynical approach. I'm just taking it from, you know, the perspective after reading this article. Again, this was an article that I fully expected to come. I expected to read more about concerns that players had entering this bubble. Um, it, the article even goes on to talk about players with uh, medical issues. Uh, they might be in, in high-risk categories. Uh, they, they're going to seek independent examination to learn whether uh, they would be excused from participation. You know, there's, there's you know, how, how does, you know, pay come into this whole thing? You know, players deciding against the Orlando resumption would not be paid for missed games. Uh, the league started withholding 25% of players' paychecks on June 15th, which we, which we already knew about. So I found the article, like the, the article got my attention because I had kind of been waiting for it. Um, I had kind of been expecting this. Uh, Participants, including players, they won't be allowed uh, to leave the bubble in Orlando without a 10-day quarantine upon their return. That's that's a, a, a provision that the NBA has put out there. So these guys, they are absolutely isolated. And that's the difference. You know, that's really the difference between finishing this season and then looking ahead to next season. Because it's one thing to think, all right, 22 teams, uh, six of them aren't going to last longer than two weeks. Okay, and then you disperse. And then you start chipping away at teams. Okay, some teams are going to be gone after the first round. Teams are going to be gone after the second round, and then you're going to be left with four teams. Two teams, crown a champion, we made it, pop champagne, celebrate, let's get the hell out of Orlando. Only two likely have to return to Orlando again in a couple. See, that's that's the thing that I keep going back to. Like, if this bubble works, great. Are they going to operate within the bubble next year? Meaning next NBA season. And if they operate within the bubble in the next NBA season, I don't think there's any way these players make it. It's just too long. It's too long to be separated. It's too long to be quarantined. It's too long to be isolated. It's one thing to be isolated through, you know, like you're, you, can, you can see the Larry O'Brien trophy. Like it's it's going to be sitting in the lobby somewhere of one of these you know Disney hotels. You you can see it, you can touch it. You you it's within grasp, it's within sight. Whereas it's game number one, and even if you're not playing eighty two games, you're still playing certainly over fifty. You're probably playing over sixty. 
depending on when they decide they want the season start to start and deciding you know when it's comfortable for them to end it when they're comfortable to schedule that last game of the NBA finals. I think I still think they could get close to, I think they could get really, really close to 82 games. If they, if they wanted to go back to the normal calendar, I had been under the assumption they were just going to change the calendar and start working from Christmas to August. But it, it appears based on something we, we, we talked about yesterday that the Hawks general manager was talking about. Maybe that's not their interest. They still want to stay October to June. And it's like, okay, that's fine. You're going to have to make some concessions here this upcoming season. But if you condense the schedule a little bit, I don't know that you could get to 82 games if you start December 1st, which is something that the players have not agreed upon yet. They have not agreed upon that December 1st start date. But if the players don't agree to the December 1st date, that means they're going to have to agree to play even fewer games uh, than they would if the season started on December 1st. Like if it started on Christmas, you've got a couple of you've got to cut a couple of weeks of regular season games out. And when you cut a couple of regular season games out, a couple of weeks of regular season games out, well, that's less revenue for the league. That's less money for the players. It'll be, you know, we still got, you know, players are set to return to their home markets in about 10 days. Uh, All of the members of the Sacramento Kings will be back here in Sacramento in 10 days. They'll be undergoing testing. Uh, They'll get a week's worth of, of training camp here beginning on June 30th. Uh, before they all head to Orlando. How all that's handled uh, will be quite interesting. Will will media be covering the practices? Just at a, you know, will we go back to the to the thing that happened at the end of the year where they're interviewing Luke Walton from 10 feet away? Or will media not be allowed in? Again, you almost have to operate this week-long training camp in your market as if these guys are operating. You, you, you almost want to ask them to operate in a bubble because they're getting tested the day that they come back. And they're going to be they're going to be tested a whole lot moving forward, beginning January, uh, beginning June twenty first or twenty second. They're going to be tested a whole lot. But you almost want to tell them like, okay, you know, our team is clear. Let's try to make the you know the smartest decisions for the next week before we go to Orlando. That way, when we get to Orlando and we get that first round of testing done, we're still all clear and we can utilize our practice time uh, to the best we can. You know, with all of our players here which is something not everybody's going to be able to do. I mean, everyone's all excited. Hey, you know, this is going to be so different. Guys are healthy. Guys have had this times off. Sure, guys are going to be overweight. They're going to be rusty. I had an extensive conversation with Aaron Bruski yesterday that you can hear over on the Sacramento Kings podcast presented by HoopBall. And, you know, he was like a big chunk of the league is going to come in. They're going to come in overweight. They're going to come in out of shape. They've just, you know, a lot of people were operating, including me, by the way, Although I'm not an NBA player, I, I was more on the pessimistic side, like the league's not returning. So if I felt that way, people on the inside had to feel like there's no way the league is coming back. There's no way we're going to be able to fit in any type of postseason. Now, the momentum for the league returning seemed to shift quite a bit in May. So, you know, even if the momentum shift, even if you weren't sure if the league was going to come back, when that momentum started to shift in May, at the beginning of May, I would think a player would be like, even if they hadn't done anything for the last couple of months or they had done very little or they had done the bare minimum, I would have to think they thought, okay, you know, maybe maybe I need to start ramping things up just a little bit. And then by you know mid-May, it was like, oh, the league's coming back. And then, of course, the end of May, we started to get announcement that the league absolutely was coming back and it was announced officially at the beginning of June. So what players look like upon their return will, will will be a fascinating thing. But to lose any of them, because particularly a a marquee player or a high level role player, to lose any of them because they just imagine they they missed the first, you know I I don't know what I don't know exactly what the 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 time frame is. I don't know if it's going to be ten days. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks. But one of these guys tests positive and they wind up missing the training camp. That's a disaster for that team. There are so many things that could go wrong. It's why people are talking about, well, this season's going to have an asterisk on it. It's like, ah, ah, you know, maybe. Like, maybe it depends on who wins. Like, if the Memphis Grizzlies win the NBA championship, maybe we don't look at this, you know, this season so fondly. But if the Bucks wind up winning, like, how different is it? Like, if the Lakers or the or the Clippers wind up winning, how different is it? Even the even the Raptors, the Raptors, the Celtics, the 76ers, none of those teams are are shocking if they wind up winning the NBA championship. There's only a few. I mean, it'd be stunning if Oklahoma City won. It would be a 
pretty surprising, I think, if Denver or Utah won. or It would be shocking as hell if Houston won. I speculated, hey, maybe Houston doesn't know it's the playoffs. Maybe Houston, maybe James Harden is, and, and, and Mike D'Antoni are so confused by the calendar, they think, man, this, this is just extra basketball. Let's just go play. They don't realize it's the playoffs. Therefore, they can't screw it up. A couple hypotheticals there for you. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier this week, I think it was, I talked to Marcos Bertone of the Sacramento Bee. Uh, that article is available here for you. Uh, this morning or, or today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we had a lengthy conversation on Monday, uh, born about after a, a Twitter exchange he and I had on Friday, where he kind of threw a blanket statement over uh, KHTK and KNBR uh, about how those stations should reflect on how they covered Colin Kaepernick and uh, you know maybe reflect on the lies that they told about Colin Kaepernick. And I thought, whoa, oh, I'm sorry, like, who exactly are you referring to? So, you know, that exchange went on for, you know, almost 24 hours before I finally emailed, and I sent him a very lengthy email about why I found that particular tweet in that particular blanket remark over KHTK so offensive. Uh, and we had a, a, a very good dialogue back and forth through email. We were able to connect on, phone, on the phone on Monday. Uh, and he wrote an article talking uh, he, it, it ties a lot of the Grant Napier stuff into the conversation. It ties a lot about uh, KHTK's overall thinking. And, 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 and truthfully, what I really like that he did is he brought up all of these businesses who are making these statements uh, you know, about Black Lives Matter now, and he's kind of raising the questions that I've been raising the last couple of days, like where the hell were you four years ago? But the point being, Marcos wrote an article that is available on the Sacramento Bee.com. Uh, I, 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 I think it's in the Sacramento Bee, like the actual newspaper, if you're 70 years old and you listen to this podcast and you're one of the few and far between people who still read the newspaper, God bless you. Uh, it should be on your it should be on your porch or in your driveway or wherever your newspaper lands each morning. One thing I do want to make clear, and, and he did mention this, but I don't ever want a misperception out there about about what the lowdown was. Like we 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 battled uphill when we created that show. Uh, we battled uphill in mud when we decided we were going to do things that weren't traditional in sports talk radio, we weren't going to uh, uh, focus like our musical conversations on classic rock, like our musical conversations centered around, you know, music that we grew up listening to. It centered around, you know, NWA, it centered around hip hop. Uh, it's centered around new Jack. Uh, and while we comfortably covered all genres of music, because all three of us, uh, in, in, including Chris, all four of us, uh, when Ken was there, we were all music lovers. So it was easy for us to do that. And, you know, our stance on Colin Kaepernick was certainly against the grain of what the sports radio market was doing. I don't ever want anybody to get confused as to whether people were listening to our show. We had the highest rated show that KHTK had over a four-year stretch. We had the highest rated show that KHTK had in a very, very, very long time. We regularly got bonuses for being number one, two, or three in our quarterly ratings. Like, don't get it twisted. We built from scratch an 18 to 34 demographic. When I started in April of 2016, the month before the 18 to 34-year-old demographic was immeasurable, it was literally 0.0. Now, you got to understand how radio ratings work. They're phony. They're fake. Like they're not real. They're only like a frat. They're they're barely indicative of who's listening to the radio. However, it is an industry standard. It is what keeps people employed. It's what they sell to businesses. And it's what many of us bonus on. And when I started April 2016, 0.0 .0 was the 18 to 34-year-old demographic. No one cares about the 18 to 34-year-old demographic in sports talk because that's not what they sell. You sell the 25 to 54-year-old demographic. That's what you sell. Like, these are the people with money. These are the people who establish. These are the people who will go buy a Lexus. They'll go buy this expensive stuff. This is who we're coveting. Like, yeah, like, that's cool, but... Like, who's going to listen to sports radio when they turn 55 and 56? And have we, like, groomed our next audience? And so I made it a point, like, let's bring younger people to sports talk. And 
as our first year progressed, as we got into month 11 and month 12 of our first year on the lowdown, that 0.0 grew to a 9.7, good for a number one finish in the 18 to 34-year-old male demographic. That was a big deal. That meant people were listening to us. That meant men the ages of 18 to 34 were listening to us over 98 Rock. Like that was that was a big deal. And no one cared because we weren't getting paid off of it. But I knew we were building our next audience. And we finished number one, two, and three very, very regularly in the 24, in the 24 to 55-year-old demographic. We were good. And while we were finishing number one and number two, the other local shows were consistently finishing 13th, 14th, and 15th. That's not shade. That's not a knock. That's just what happened. And there were times where we finished number two, number three, and there were times that, you know, that uh, 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 the local morning show finished eighth or ninth. Point is, we set the standard for where that station finished in terms of ratings. When our show ended in 2019, it was not because people weren't listening. People were listening. If people weren't, this podcast wouldn't exist. If people weren't, the podcast network, the media network, the media communications company that we're building over on Patreon together, it wouldn't exist. But you guys gave me enough confidence to work. Well, there's an audience out there. Enough people reached out to me after the show ended saying, hey, I, 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 I've never really reached out to you before. I didn't ag- agree with you, but I really enjoyed listening to your show. If you do anything, let me know. And it was like, oh. All right, yeah, but maybe maybe we could do something here because you never want to get wrapped up. And this is one thing that that station was always incredibly guilty of. It got wrapped up in the people who were really vocal, right? They always catered to the, and, and, and this, is, this is a complaint that I have about the WNBA also, is they get wrapped up in the audience that they have and they do everything to cater to that audience that they have and they never do anything to attract New audience members. They're so worried about alienating that very small group of people that listen to them that they don't want to bring in a new audience. And the fact is that sports talk radio in this market has been so diminished, people have turned away from it. Again, this isn't a knock on KHTK because it's not exclusive to KHTK. People have turned away from sports talk in this market. And I don't think it was because Deuce and Morgan were fired. I don't think it's because the constant changes that 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 KHTK goes goes through. I don't think it was because the lowdown was taken off the air, but I do think it was incredibly damaging for this market that the lowdown and the rise guys were taken off the air in a span of eight days. The fact that the rise guys ended eight days after the lowdown ended, and suddenly you went from you know, four local shows over two stations, which is, which in and of itself is offensive. But then you went to two local shows on two stations. Then it was like, wait a minute. This is like, what what am I going to listen to that? I don't want to listen to this. Nobody wants, literally nobody wants to listen to Tiki Barber in, in, in whatever the dude's name is. Tyranny, Teary, whatever it is. Nobody want to listen. Nobody's listening to that. But the thing is, the market has been so diminished. The sports talk market has been so diminished that KHK isn't going to invest in it. Like people, I, I love that I get tagged in these tweets about going to work with Doug. And I love to work with Doug. I just don't think I want to work for that station again because that station doesn't commit to being a great radio station. It commits to just getting by. There's like five people that work there. I used to talk with Kyle Matson all the time. A lot of you who listen to KHK are familiar with Kyle. Kyle used to work in the morning show. Him and I used to do a lot of stuff together. He got the opportunity to go produce a show in San Francisco, and he's doing a hell of a job with the show that he works on. But he's got like five people on that show. Like he's the executive producer. He puts everything that they've got going on. They've got a, a board op on that show. They've got someone who's in charge of, of, of running social media while they do that show and running website stuff. And then they've got the three hosts. So right there, I just named six people who are dedicated to his 10 to 2 time slot. Six people. I think there are six people, period, that work at KHDK. Like six people overall. And this, I don't even know that it's six. It might be like five. They're just not committed to being great because the, this market for sports talk has been so diminished over the years. It's been trashed year after year. All of these, these, these older, and it is predominantly older white people screaming that, oh, God, 
damn it, I'm never listening to KHTK again because you fired Grant Napier. Man, fuck off. Who cares? You weren't listening before. Y'all are just looking for some reason to be mad. Nobody is listening to that damn station. Grant Napier hadn't finished in the top 20 in friggin' four years. Nobody's listening. People have turned off sports talk in this market. And thank God for me. Because if, 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 if I was trying to... If I was trying to dig a path here in this podcast universe and, and, and build like a basically a local sports talk show here in the podcast platform, I would fail miserably if I was in San Francisco because there are too many options in San Francisco because the radio stations, KNBR and the game and, and the companies behind them, Intercom and Cumulus, they take sports talk seriously and they invest in it. They don't invest in sports talk here. And again, this isn't exclusive to KHTK. This is the same thing with ESPN. I've talked to the people regularly. I've worked with the people who run ESPN. I know what the problem is. There's, there's no return there. You have to put an investment in it, and you don't get anything back. And my argument is you've got to spend money to make money. And you've got to put a product out there. You, like these stations like dip their toe in the water. Like KHTK, KHTK, I've said this about them for, I've said this about them since I've worked there. If the Kings decided tomorrow that they were moving their broadcasting rights to ESPN 1320 or the Kings decided tomorrow that they were moving their broadcasting rights to Kings.com and they were keeping everything in-house, KHDK would cease to exist an hour later. They would be gone. They, they exist for no other reason than to be the home of the Sacramento Kings and to use that platform as a way to attract advertisers. Now, advertisers don't sp spend big money on KHDK. Now, this is getting in the weeds, so, so forgive me. But advertisers don't spend big money on KHDK. They spend big money on KNCI, who's one of their sister stations. They spend big money on, on Mix 96 or now 100.5. That's where the money is spent. Then they throw in, well, you know, if you spend an extra dot, 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 we can throw some stuff here on KHDK. And there are two businesses that I can think of specifically that spend a lot of money on KHDK and it's one of the most baffling things in the world. And you can probably figure out who they are if you're a, a regular listener of that station and being familiar with how marketing is done, I know that both of those businesses keep a, 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 a six figures worth of advertising on KHDK because what they enjoy is not the return that they get from their investment in advertising. There is a major six-figure advertiser on that station who has acknowledged to me directly, I'm not getting anything in return in terms of my advertising. What I want is, is I want my tickets to the Kings game. I want my suite at the Golden One Center whenever I want it. And I want those courtside tickets whenever I decide I want to go. That's the reason I keep my six-figure advertisers there. And, there, and, and, and there's a, there are other companies that feel the exact same way. That's what they sell people. They don't sell people Hey, we've got this great big, you know, audience that is just thirsty for sports here. No, what they sell people is, well, if you put advertising on here, we can give you courtside tickets to the Kings game. You will have access. If you spend six figures here, you will have access at some point this year to people like Vlade Divac, to people like Peja Stoyakovic. You will have access at some point this year into the upper echelon of the Sacramento Kings organization. You will have the ability to come in here and see Doug Christie live in person. And, of course, you'll be able to sit courtside. We'll be able to get you a suite for the rodeo or for WWE wrestling or for, you know, concert A, B, C, and D because we've got a suite there. We'll take care of you. But nobody ever invests into the actual programming. People say, oh, would you go back and work with Doug? They're not going to hire anyone. KCK is not going to hire anyone. What they're going to do is, God bless Jason, who has just had to do everything to keep that station up and running. They're, he's going to get, they're going to get comfortable with Jason being there with Doug. They've got Dave doing his thing in the morning, and they're going to be like, well, we were able to fire Grant, so we just saved a whole bunch of money. Let's just keep moving forward with this. The only thing that changes that is if Jason winds up not being the play-by-play -play guy for the Sacramento Kings television side, and whoever gets that job as the play-by-play -play announcer, if that person decides that they want a radio show, they have one ready built for them in, in, in the afternoon at KHDK. That's the only way I see them hiring someone. But I don't imagine anyone other than Jason Ross working with Doug Christie for the foreseeable future. And, it dis and, and again, it's good for my business. 
and I'm and, and I'm thankful to have an opportunity to carve a different type of niche here in the Sacramento market because if if the local radio stations aren't going to respect you and respect what you want, shoot, I will. And that's the beauty with podcasts. Is podcast it's 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 like Instagram, it's like Twitter, it's personalized programming. It's what do I like to hear? Like maybe you love this daily sports talk that I do, but you don't like the political stuff as much. Well, I try to keep this podcast, you know, and I know you got to, you know, our current times is a major exception, but you probably know at some point I'm going to delve into something that has to do with Black Lives Matter or something like that. Now that's a focal point in the sports world today. But if you really love my political commentary, where you can go over to the subscription site there at patreon.com. It's personalized programming. If you're a wrestling fan, there's a podcast out there for you. There's millions of podcasts out there for wrestling fans. What we're trying to do here with what we're building is local radio stations don't respect what their audience likes to listen to. So let's give it to them somewhere else. Let's give it to them in the podcast platform. And that's what we're doing. But I want to make sure you understand if you read that Sack B article, don't ever, ever, ever think that our show was canceled because people weren't listening. I keep all my receipts. I know what, what our numbers were. We did, we did very, very well the way ratings are done. And of course, you know, with all of that said, ratings are the phoniest thing in the world. But it's how we make our living. It's how, it's how, it's, <laughs> to, <laughs> ratings, it's how we're rated. We have no other option. Like, it's what's in front of us. The same is true for television. Television is only slightly more accurate. But it, it's pretty much the same. It's just a small sample size of what is out there. And then it's magnified to say, well, this is what it looks like. If I explained to you, you guys would be bugged out if I ever explained to you like how ratings like really, really work. It's really, it's really insane that our lives, you know, in the broadcasting industry could depend on such a small sample size, such a small group of people. Now that's us in the sports talk world, because in sports talk, it's a very niche demographic even in cities like san francisco even in bigger cities it's it's very niche it's just the niche out there is much much bigger you're far more likely to have a a a better sample size of people who listen to stations like 98 rock or the end because while you know the audience on khdk for you know a week's period of time might be five thousand people the audience for a week on the end or 98 Rock is like 400,000 people. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're talking about when we're talking about niches. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about numbers. The people who listen to sports talk in this market, they have been run off and they are very, very small. Like the numbers are very, very small. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like for NASCAR. This was something I did not expect to come across yesterday. As a matter of fact, the next two stories are things that I did not expect to come across yesterday. Uh, Bubba Wallace, uh, who's the, the, the lone black driver in NASCAR's three national series, he called for the sanctioning body to ban all Confederate flags at racetracks. And they did. <laughs> I'm sorry, What? NASCAR, I, I thought the official flag of NASCAR was the Confederate flag. Uh, but no, they've shut this down. Good And good for them. Good for Bubba Wallace for speaking up. And now banning the flag is one thing. But, you know, this is all this is going to do is infuriate people. And now racist white people, they've got no sports to watch. They're getting run off of all of their favorite sports. Their favorite NFL players are are threatening to take a knee, which, you know, that means they're anti-American. But, of course, when you, you know, celebrate an America that failed, that encouraged slavery, well, you want to wave those flags pretty high. And, well, NASCAR just shut that down, and now some of these people don't have anywhere to turn. What are they going to do? And the Red Sox. Did you see this statement from the Red Sox? You know, Torrey Hunter has been very vocal about his experiences in Boston. He's been very vocal about, I well... To be fair, many former Boston Red Sox and shoot current Boston Red Sox have been vocal about their treatment there uh, in Boston and the regular use of the N-word there at Fenway Park. The Red Sox put out a pretty, I I don't know, it was shocking to me. They put out a statement uh, that begins with, Torrey Hunter's experience is real. If you doubt him because you've never heard it yourself, take it from us, it happens. Last year, there were seven reported incidents at Fenway Park where fans used racial slurs. Those are just the ones we know about. 
And it's not only players. It happens to the dedicated black employees who work for us on game days. Uh, Their uniforms may be different, but their voices and experiences are just as important. This was a... This statement got my attention. Uh, It got my attention because I feel like Boston people, like I'll never forget Albert Breer. Well, is there video of, 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 of Boston people using the N word? And it's like, Oh fam. Like I didn't live in Boston. I've been to Fenway park. I lived, I lived in Connecticut. Dude, stop it. Like, stop. I know you get in your feelings when your hometown gets attacked. Dude, stop it. That was such a lame take on his part. It was so bad. And to see the see the see the Red Sox make this statement, it was like, oh, okay. Now again, I don't. What do all these statements mean? You know, Rob Manfred. We're gonna we're gonna hear from Rob Manfred uh, in 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 just a minute because in, in case you weren't aware, all is fine in Major League Baseball. There's nothing to see here. Rob Manfred opened up the draft yesterday talking about Black Lives Matter. Like wow, like like what does all this mean though? You go to Amazon to shop for something, and they've got this Black Lives Matter banner there. Okay, what does it mean? You know, Michael Jordan, for for however many people fault him for the way he did or didn't uh, approach, you know, political issues during his playing career, and I, I, I guess more specifically, it's the way he didn't approach uh, political issues in his playing career. He's, you know, he's 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 trying to work towards a solution here. I don't know how you can find fault and. You know, donating ten million dollars over the course of the next ten years uh, to programs programs that could help this issue. Though I don't know what programs help racial tensions. I don't know what programs help racial equality. Like, if, unless you're going to run a program that restructures the brain of racist people, like that's that's the thing. Racism is tr- is a trait. It is a powerful. It is the most powerful genetic gene on the planet. It's stronger than the blonde hair, blue eyes. It's stronger than the dark hair, dark eyes. It's stronger than the dark skin or the light skin. There is no genetic gene that is more powerful than the one of racism because that's going to get handed down from generation to generation to generation. And those younger generations are going to be taught at a very, very young age. This is what you think of those people. This is how you act towards those people. And this is why we are superior to them. And I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know how $100 million fixes that. I don't know how $10 million fixes that. Now, there are, is a lot of other things that that money can go to, to maybe you're not going to cure racism with $100 million, but maybe you can break down the systematic issues with racism. I've been vocal over the course of the last few weeks about how there aren't any black radio personalities, specifically how there aren't any black um, local radio personalities outside of Doug Christie. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to fix it. Like that's, that's, that's got to be fixed. Cause I refuse to believe that there are people at Sac State who are going through that tremendous broadcasting program that they have there. I refuse to believe that there are, are, are people at Sac State who don't have the desire to get into broadcasting. The issue is there's no more, there's, there's no more training ground in broadcasting. Not for black people, not for white people, not for women, not for men, for no one. Like, it's been eliminated. It's been eliminated because markets have, have cut their budgets down and you, know, you start Xing off the fat. You start trimming the fat. Well, what do we consider fat? Well, internships. We got to get rid of internships because internships now, you don't really get college credit for them. You got to get paid for them. And we can't afford to pay interns anymore. So we've got to get rid of that program. We're going to fix this. We're going to bring back a training ground to get young people, both black, white, men, women, people who are involved, who want to be involved in broadcasting. We're going to give them a way to be involved in broadcasting. Because it's just awful that that doesn't exist and money can fix those types of things money can't fix racism money can help fix the systematic part of racism money can also fix rob manfred's problems he's got a lot of them but according to him nothing to worry about the most important thing is that we play major league baseball in 2020 and i can tell you unequivocally we are going to play major league baseball this year 
Well, I'll be honest, my number would be 60 to 70 games, and you pay a full prorated salary, and we get back to the game of baseball. Why wouldn't that be acceptable? You know, Carl, I'm not going to get into um, bargaining with you about issues with the Players Association. We'll make another proposal to them uh, that's consistent with the economic realities that we're looking at, including the fact that um, our, our revenues are going to be down over 70 percent. And hopefully um, we'll find some flexibility on the other side and make an agreement. Uh, that's we'll Mr. Baseball, Carl important. Ravitch, right there uh, talking to Rob Manfred. Obviously, that's courtesy of ESPN, the look on Carl Ravage's face when he says, I'm not going to negotiate with you. I think Carl Ravage was like, dude, I'm trying to throw you a bone here, player. Like, come on, man. Uh, but hey, he used the term unequivocally. Oh, okay, cool. I guess that's supposed to mean something to me. I guess because Rob Manfred used the term unequivocally that baseball is coming back. These two sides are going back and forth and they're presenting this and they're presenting that and uh, we should have this number of games and that number of games and the prorated salary should be this and the prorated salary should be that. Okay, well, cool. It's, it, you, you seem awfully confident there during the Major League Baseball draft yesterday. And Anthony, I know you're listening and I know you want a full breakdown of the Major League draft. Uh, maybe I'll make that a separate podcast on Patreon. Spoiler alert, I will do no such thing. Uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, said he spoke to Roger Goodell over the last couple of days uh, regarding the video that the players put out uh, late last week uh, in support of Black Lives Matter and urging the NFL to acknowledge and apologize for attempting to silence other NFL players. Patrick Mahomes is really the guy everybody is looking to at this because, well, he's one of the best players on the planet. I mean, he is a former league MVP. He's a reigning defending Super Bowl champion. So the fact that Patrick Mahomes is actively involved in this is a big deal uh, for the NFL. Here's, a, here's, here's a, another story that I did not expect to see today. The Premier League, uh, the Premier League players, uh, they want to wear Black Lives Matter on their shirts in place of individual names during the opening round uh, next week. Um, and this is going to happen if senior club officials give the green light to the idea during a conference call that's going to take place later on Today, there are a number of issues that the Premier League is going to work out during this conference call, but this is expected to be at the forefront. Uh, one more quick note here. Uh, uh, I read this yesterday and I had an initial reaction, but I've already used one F-bomb today, so I won't use another one. But Los Angeles Chargers running back Justin Jackson said that the players that, that, that players this upcoming season would consider, you know, they might not kneel if they believe that they've been listened to. Uh, they they might not kneel if the NFL believes that they're listening to them when they speak about use of force by police and a variety of other issues, quote, in our communities. Hey, uh, this isn't Justin Jackson, the former member of the Sacramento Kings, by the way, but d don't, don't, don't do this. Don't don't start making proclamations like this. Justin, he's a, he's a third-year player. He's a young guy. I'm not familiar with him. You're probably not either because he didn't really play a lot. He averaged like four carries last year. And I'm not trying to diminish his voice because of what his role is on the football team. I'm saying you probably shouldn't speak out about what a large group of very, very frustrated, and in some cases, very, very angry players are going to do in the approaching season. Don't do that. Because what the NFL can do now, what the NFL owners can do now is take the statement and say, oh, we are listening. So don't take a knee during the national anthem. I've even heard that the NFL is is attempting to say, oh, we will allow players to kneel during the national anthem. Like, oh, you're going to allow them? Because they they were allowed to do it before. You attempted to pass a rule that says they weren't, and that got shut down quick. So, the, the, you know, the, the, the wording and the dynamic and the tiptoeing around all of this national anthem stuff for a season that is three months away. You know, I got a text a couple of days ago. Do you think the NFL will ultimately eliminate the national anthem? Like, man, they might. I think they're going to take a beating from each side if they do that. I think they're going to take a beating from, you know, the player side and the pro demonstration people who say, oh, you're just removing the player's ability to, to demonstrate. Okay. That's a cowardly move on your part, for especially for an organization that says we were wrong for trying to silence players, but it's okay. Like, it's, it's fine. At some point, taking a knee during the National Anthem isn't going to have an impact anymore. It's not. And, and if the whole league is doing it, you know, if it's not drawn attention to, then it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, there, there are people who don't know that the year after Colin Kaepernick was gone, 
from the San Francisco 49ers. Eric Reed took, took a knee the entire year. Eric Reed has knelt during the national anthem three times more than Colin Kaepernick ever did. Colin Kaepernick is the one who started the movement, but at some point people stop paying attention to it. And maybe if it's 40 players on the field every game, 20 players on the field every game, maybe then it becomes more of a focal point of conversation. I don't think that it does. I think at some point it just gets stops getting talked about. You just take the vow of silence, which apparently is what Jerry Jones is doing right now because Jerry Jones ain't said a damn thing about Black Lives Matter. He ain't said a damn thing about what's going on in this country right now. He said nothing about it. He's he, When is Jerry Jones ever radio silent? Now he gone. I saw the Dallas Cowboys put out their cute little video on their social media platform, which couldn't have possibly have been more insincere. I ain't heard from Jerry. I don't know where he's at. I, 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 and I can't believe I just uttered the phrase, I ain't heard from Jerry Jones. Appreciate you for tuning in. Patreon.com slash Damian Barling. If you want to support this podcast or any other podcast, there are tons of incentives to join us over there on Patreon, including uh, your access to both new episodes of Be Conscious and the archives of Be Conscious. There's some great stuff in the archives as well. I'm working on getting some guests lined up for some upcoming episodes. There seems to be a whole lot to talk about in our uh, social podcast there. Of course, you get uh, early access to Relive. If you haven't checked out Relive, please go check that out. It is available on this very same podcast platform that you are listening to this one on. It is completely free. It is a documentary-style podcast that focuses on a specific match and a specific moment in wrestling history, and we tell the backstory. We tell the backstory of The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17, not just the backstory in front of the camera, but the backstory behind the camera. We tell the backstory of CM Punk, and John Cena, and of course, that story ends with CM Punk walking out on the WWE in 2014. Episode number three, I think right now, is the mwah, the chef's kiss of the season so far. I think it went really well. It centers around the Lex Express and WrestleMania 10. That episode drops for you uh, next Wednesday. So try to get caught up. Let me know what you think. I'm really curious on your feedback. It's something very new. And of course, uh, again, head over to patreon.com slash Barling if you want to support the show. And we will be back here with more tomorrow on the podcast with Damien Barling.